is Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, we are watching the 2012 adaptation of the classic musical, Les Miserables. Oh joy, oh rapture. So, for those of you who don't know... The last time on this podcast, I think, that we discussed a musical was Moulin Rouge. I showed Indeed. Scott that marvelous movie that I love oh, so, 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 so much. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it, because it's actually one of our best ones, because we disagree pretty much wholeheartedly throughout the entire <laughs> episode. So I told Scott that we were going to watch Les Miserables, and he was not exactly overjoyed by that. But I told him, you know what, babe? I think you might actually like it. Okay. Maybe. So, um, yeah, Scott, without going into too much detail, because we don't want to bury the lead. We don't want to blow our load too early. <laughs> How did you feel overall about this film? For all of you people who have heard our Moulin Rouge episode... I initially thought, before Frankie talked me up to a 2.5, that Moulin Rouge was probably going to be a 1.5. I was sadly mistaken as of today. I wish to issue a formal apology for that initial 1.5 opinion. (laughs) Because, god damn, this movie is so much worse. Now, just to clarify, does this mean that you're bumping up your rating of Moulin Rouge? You already bumped it up to a 2.5. I mean, I just want to win something today. <laughs> it, I could possibly be talked into a three <gasps> from yes. Moulin Rouge. Scandal, you guys. Fucking scandal. Well, then I must thank Les Mis for something, at least. <laughs> yeah, because, oh boy. Okay, so we're going to get into it. It's going to be a fucking journey we're going to go on today. But just top three bullet point concerns, issues with this movie, go. The characters are cardboard. The story jumps all over the place. I care about no one. You cared about Jean Valjean. Okay, I care about one person. And you you kind of like Marius at the end. Yes, okay. I'm starting to tell him, and I was like, you like Christian at the end? <laughs> So, before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's talk about the background of this musical. So, it is based on the 1900-page novel by Victor Hugo, written in 1862. Oh, boy. And just for those of you who are book nerds, like myself, I consider myself to have read the book. Did I skip some parts that were boring? Yes, I skipped to the good stuff. But I've read most of it, <laughs> so I, I, I read it. <laughs> God, that sounds terrible. This book has been made into several different spinoffs and adaptations. There were comics, radio plays, stage plays, eventually a musical, obviously, and movies, also obviously. But let's talk about the musical. So it was written by Elaine Boublil. Who I, that's totally wrong. It's a French name. I, I'm not good with French shit, okay? I'm sorry. And Claude Michel Schoenberg, with the lyrics by Herbert Kretzmer. It premiered on Broadway in March of 1987 and won the Best Musical Tony along with 
seven other Tonys that year. So it was like the Hamilton of 1987. First of all, you are not prone to like musicals in general. That is not true. I love Guys and Dolls. That's one. I Name like- another musical that you love. Book of Mormon, Phantom of the Opera. There are musicals I do like. So Okay, fine. So, despite your feelings, Scott, the Broadway musical of Les Mis was on Broadway for 16 years. It closed in 2003 after 6,680 performances. This show was the sixth longest running Broadway show in history. And there were also revivals in 2006 and 2014, two years after this movie came out. So there. Okay. (laughs) Scott does not give a fuck. Uh, Like I just said, this movie came out in 2012. It was directed by Tom Hooper. He's a pretty well-known director in the hoity-toity Oscar scene. Before this movie, he directed The King's Speech, which won Best Picture in 2011. And then most recently, he directed um, Cats. He, He directed Cats. Well, you know what? This makes me want to see Cats even less. I'm not saying that this guy is is perfect by any stretch. I'm not even saying this is a perfect movie. Your issues with it, in a way I understand, I don't agree with your intensity in feeling the way you do, but I can understand your point of view. So the film was adapted into a screenplay written by Mr. William Nicholson. The most notable writing credit other than this that I saw was he was a writer on Gladiator. This film got a lot of Oscar love. It was nominated for eight Oscars, and it only won three of them. Most notably, I would say this film won the award for Supporting Actress for Anne Hathaway's performance as Fontaine. Uh, It also won for Makeup and Hair. That makes sense. And Sound Mixing. Now, as far as the ones that it was nominated for, let's go down that list, shall we? It was nominated for Production Design. Okay. Lost to Lincoln. Okay. Nominated for Lead Actor for Hugh Jackman's performance. Okay. And he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. Lincoln. (laughs) It was also nominated for Best Costume Design. Makes sense. And lost to Anna Karenina which is another period piece. It was nominated for Original Song, which we'll get to. I'm not thrilled with that particular aspect of the film, but that lost to Adele's Skyfall. So, yeah, we're, we're cool with that. And last but not least, it was nominated for Best Picture, which Scott read on the DVD cover and nearly lost his shit. <laughs> this must have been... One of the weakest years for Best Pictures well, ever. Well, it lost to Argo. I, I I don't think anyone was expecting Les Mis to win. Oh, it's yeah. Les Mis, like the Black Panther Dark Horse? No, it wasn't that extreme, but it was the first musical in 10 years to be nominated for Best Picture, and the last one was Chicago. And then before that, it was Moulin Rouge. So the age of musicals has been long dead. <laughs> Unless you have Hugh Jackman in it. Hugh Jackman does have history in Broadway. He was in oh, Oklahoma. I know that. And there there are some other Broadway people in this movie. Most of the actors in this don't have musical theater chops. 
some of the singing in this is not great. <laughs> it definitely didn't help that nearly every song in this movie was recorded live on set. That kind of method has been done before, but not to this scale where it's like every song. That led to a lot of very emotional raw performances like Anne Hathaway's and some other ones that we'll get to. All right. So are you ready to get into this? As ready as I'm going to be. We're going to disagree a lot. And kids, don't worry. Mommy and daddy are still going to love each other when this is over. (laughs) It's going to be okay. So we begin in 1815. We get introduced to our main character, Jean Valjean. Yes. A French prisoner played by Hugh Jackman, engaging in some hardcore prison labor with his fellow prisoners. And we also meet Javert. He's a police inspector. And he is played by Russell Crowe. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Russell Crowe is an issue in this film. He is one note and one note only. You notice it immediately because the thing with this musical, it's not like a lot of other musicals where there's talky, 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 and then singy, singy, singy. No. Lame is, it's pretty much singing the entire time. Like, maybe 95% of this is just all through singing. So, uh, immediately when we start, we start with a song called Look Down. Eventually we get Javert's first singing dialogue, and his voice... Because the thing is, Russell Crowe was in a rock band, right? Yes, in Australia. So he has capabilities of singing, I'm sure. But it doesn't seem like his voice is strong enough to keep up with everyone else around him. Now, prisoner 24601, your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. So we established that Jean Valjean was in this prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread for his sister and her starving child. And finally, after all those years, he is getting out on parole. And Javert is very nasty to him. He's calling him by his prison number, 24601. Once a thief, always a thief. Once a thief, always a thief. You may be out on parole, but you're still a criminal. So he's an asshole. Javert is a dickwad, and he is very of the law. So Valjean goes free. Eventually, he winds up at this church. And the bishop at this church takes him in, and he is played, fun fact, by Colm Wilkinson, who was also the original Jean Valjean on Broadway. So that's a cool little tidbit. And just so you guys know, this is a hefty film, okay? This movie spans over many, 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 many years. This movie was two and a half hours long. It was originally slated to be four hours long. So Scott had to watch a movie that he genuinely hated for two and a half hours. Just pray for him. So now that Jean Valjean is in the church, the bishop is being very kind to him. And he responds by stealing a bunch of silver from the church in the middle of the night and running away. The next day he gets dragged back by the police. The bishop said, no, 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 sir. I gave this man the silver. As a gift, you must let him go and be on your merry way. And Valjean is, like, shocked by this. And the bishop tells him, I want you to take this silver, 
go out into the world, get on your feet, and become an honest man, and make a new life for yourself. Yeah, Hugh Jackman does really well portraying his emotions, though we couldn't not see his emotions because the camera's right in his face. Yes, there are a lot of close-ups in this film, but that's a choice to get very clear emotions on the actor's faces. So in this preceding scene, Jean Valjean has a existential crisis, like, I was a thief, and I stole from him, and yet he still showed me mercy. But then he takes that as inspiration to destroy who he once was, destroy Jean Valjean. He rips up his parole paperwork and resolves himself to go out into the world and start a new life. Jean Valjean is nothing now! And we skip ahead eight years. Yes. Uh, after this, we do skip to 1823. Let's talk about, like, where he ends up now in 1823. Yes. However he managed to do it. We don't know exactly how We don't happened. know at all. But we know that he turned his life around and he became an owner of a factory as well as the mayor of this small town. Yeah. So what type of movie that could have been from? Getting out of prison. I get it. But, like, the thing is, the work of Les Miserables is about a lot more than just this one period of time. It's about a whole life. I understand that. I understand it's about... It's basically this guy's lifetime. Right. But we see biopics all the time that are about people's lifetimes. That we don't skip a whole portion of their lifetime. I get you. That could be very interesting. Because you know what? Oh I like God. Jean Valjean. You got plenty of Jean Valjean in this movie, Scott. Okay. Until you get fucking the other characters. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so speaking of the other characters, we go on this poor French town that Jean Valjean is mayor of, and we cut in on this factory. A bunch of women working in this factory with a pervy little foreman who's going around smacking women's asses, and he's particularly pervy with a young lady named Fontaine, who's played by Anne Hathaway. She is working in the factory to provide for her illegitimate daughter, named Cosette, and the other women find out about this, and they start picking on her, and a little fight starts. Bitches be crazy. Jean Valjean comes in and breaks up the fight, and then he just kind of leaves. Well, he, he ends up leaving, because he sees, sitting in his main office... It's Javert. And the foreman fires Fontaine. She calls out to him. His name in this town is Lemaire. So she calls out to Lemaire. Wait, it was Lemaire? I thought it was Lumiere. No, Lemaire. Oh, I thought it was Lemaire. Monsieur Lemaire. Oh, I thought it was Lumiere. (laughs) Yes, and he breaks Uh, out to be our guest. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we provide the rest. So, Fontaine gets fired and she gets kicked out of the factory on her ass. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Valjean's office, where Javert has come in and he's saying that he is the new chief of police in this town. And Javert, for a second, he's like, hmm, I feel like we met before. Because he doesn't recognize Valjean. And 
Valjean, she's like, oh no, I, I, I never forget a face. I've, I've never seen you before. <laughs> They're like kind of having this awkward back and forth. And then all of a sudden he hears screaming from outside. They both run outside and they see a man pulling a cart. Yes, his cart like almost ran him over. So Valjean, he goes under the cart and he starts lifting this heavy cart up. Yes, and that's how he recognizes John Valjean. Only one man can lift like that. Okay, it's not, that's not, he witnessed this man doing heavy labor for years and he looked completely different back then. So when he sees him lifting this cart, a light bulb comes on Uh, a little bit. And he doesn't fully believe it. Like, he's still not sure, but he's suspicious. So then we cut to Fontaine, who is absolutely desperate for money so she can support her child. She sells her hair, her teeth, and her body in order to make money. She becomes a woman of the night. Yes. So after... Fontaine has a encounter with this disgusting man. He leaves and she starts singing I Dreamed a Dream, which is probably one of the most well-known songs of this show. The light is hitting her so perfectly in this shot. It's just a static shot of her close up and it just focuses completely on her emotion, which I think is incredibly difficult for an actor Oh, yeah. To just have this camera so close to your face and you have to be so conscious of everything your face is doing and you have to sing on top of that and you're crying. It's an incredibly emotional song. Yeah, there's one point where she's choked up. It's very difficult to hear when she's like, Still I dream he'll come to me That we will live the years together one of the sequences in the movie that everyone agrees is fantastic. Do you agree with that at least? I, I will say that this part of the movie is very good. Anne Hathaway is a very good singer. Though, she does have a perfect set of teeth that she didn't sell. Okay. <laughs> See, now you're just nitpicking. They could have taken her back teeth, Scott, okay? No one likes to... Fuck a toothless prostitute. I actually don't know. I don't fuck prostitutes. (laughs) But the point is, she sang this song beautifully. Fontaine, I think, as a character played by Anne Hathaway, elevates this whole movie as well as elevates Jean Valjean as a character. Which we'll get to in a minute. I guess. I agree with that. Did she do very well? Yes, she did. She's probably the second best part of this movie. After that beautiful song, Fontaine is on the street and this guy comes up to her and tries to come on to her and she scratches his face. Javert comes up and he's like, sir, what has happened here? And the guy's like, she attacked me. See my face? It's bleeding. And Javert has absolutely no sympathy for Fontaine. Right as he is about to take her to jail, Valjean comes up and he defends her. And she turns around and is like, you fucking turned your back on me when the foreman pushed me out of the damn factory. 
and she spits in his fucking face. Valjean being the changed man that he is, he wants to help her. So he scoops her up and takes her to the hospital. The next day after this whole thing happens, Javert gets word from one of his underlings that they have caught a convict that they believe is Jean Valjean and that he will be punished. And he goes to Valjean, the real Valjean, Lemaire. Yeah, he does come to the real Jean Valjean and goes, oh, I thought you were Jean Valjean. I'm sorry. Please fire me. And Jean Valjean goes, it's okay. You're just doing your job. He forgives him. He shows him mercy. This is the big thing with Jean Valjean. From this point on, he is very merciful. Right. Especially to a man who he has considered his tormentor for 19 years before this. Because after what the bishop did for him, he knows the value of being merciful and showing love to others. See, it's like Moulin Rouge. It's all about love, Scotty. Thank God for Moulin Rouge. <gasps> Scotty! Did you just say that? Yes, I just said Oh that. my God! Guys, look at what's happening! Okay. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> what is Liam has done to you? <sighs> so, Jean Valjean is struggling with his guilt. He basically throws himself to the mercy of the court. They don't really believe him at first. So he's like, listen, I'm going to go to the hospital because Fontaine is dying. Make sure you tell Javert that that's where I'll be when he wants to come get me. So he goes to the hospital to be with Fontaine and she tells him of Cosette, where she is, and he promises to take care of her. Yeah, there's a weird shot here. Fontaine is, like, reaching. She's hallucinating Cosette. And Cosette, like, walks up to her. And then... They have Cosette back up awkwardly away from Fontaine. Just have her disappear. No, she's like fading away. No, she is backing up. No, she I is understand. physically walking backwards. I understand what you're saying. Just have her vanish. Why does it mean Okay, to be? babe, you are nitpicking so hardcore right now. No. It was a how dumb, hardcore you're nitpicking. It was a dumb shot. Okay. And it looked really stupid. It was a dumb shot. Whatever you say. So, it looked really dumb. Valjean promises a dying Fontaine that he is going to take care of her daughter and then she passes and just as she does Javert shows up so they end up fighting this is a big point his reservations about the mayor have now been proven right for eight years he's been hunting this man all over France and it feels it's just there's nothing there's not enough gusto it actually hurts. It almost sounds like muffled. It's very like muffled and almost a screechy muffle. But I, I do want to mention, we are going to talk about Cass Kudabins. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any for Javert. I really wanted to. But I did want to mention a couple of people that I think probably would have been a lot better for this role. The first of which is someone that I don't know if anyone's gonna know by the name but I know who he is and I really like him a lot he's a Broadway guy his name is Hadley Fraser and he played Javert in London for a spell and he also played Raul in the 25th anniversary filming of Phantom of the Opera Anywhere you go. 
to. And he was in this movie also. Later on, we'll see him. He plays a soldier and he does have a little bit of a singing part. But he is such a good singer. I watched the 25th anniversary of Phantom recently and I fell in love with him because in my mind, he looked like a mix of Ewan McGregor and John Mulaney. No! So he could have been a great, I mean, he's kind of young, but like, he could have been great as this. And you can um, always make somebody look older. Right, so I feel like he would have been great for this. Also, I just thought of another one. He's a Broadway guy, but uh, Norbert Leo Butts. He was most notably the original Fierro in Wicked. He's been in other shows, too. He's like a middle-aged gentleman with a fucking killer voice. Again, I guess they just wanted to put more big names in this. Yeah, it probably helped having his name, at least from a box office standpoint. Right. It just bothers me that, like, I'm sure before they went into production, they heard everybody sing. At least Russell Crowe, because you know he doesn't have any fucking Broadway chops. So you heard Russell Crowe sing like that, and you were like, yeah, let's do it. But in my mind, it doesn't ruin the whole movie. So, um, where are we? <laughs> so, so Jesus Christ. They're sword fighting, and John Valjean jumps out the window. We then cut to little Cosette. Cosette is basically the Cinderella of this scenario. She is dirty and downtrodden and treated like crap, basically. And she sings about her dreams of living in a magical land where everything is magic and unicorns with castle on a cloud. It's, it's a very cute, flowery little song. She is being taken care of by the Thenardiers. Mrs. Thenardier is played by Helen Bottom Carter. And Mr. Thenardier is played by Sasha Baron Cohen. They're basically the comic relief. I was a little worried because Helena Bonham Carter initially started sing talking. That is not her strong suit. When she starts legitimately singing, because after this comes uh, Master of the House. Yes, they're innkeepers, and they're very scummy innkeepers. And they basically sing about how they're running this inn, and they're stealing from all their tenants. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. The Thenardiers also have a legitimate daughter between them. Her name is Eponine, and she's also a small child, the same age as Cosette, and she will come back later. <laughs> don't you worry. Yep. We learn nothing really about her. No, we don't need to yet. We really don't learn anything about her, period. Yes, we do. Shut the fuck up. We're gonna get there! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Cosette runs outside, and she sees this man. This man is Jean Valjean. He takes her by the hand, takes her back to the Thenardiers and says, I will pay you whatever debts you need paid so I can take this young girl away. And he tells her, your mother is with God, but she asked me to take care of you and I gave her my word that I would take care of you. And the Thenardiers are being their normal scummy selves and pinching every single penny they can get out of Valjean. But eventually Valjean takes Cosette and they go. But then, <laughs> we get this part that I don't particularly like. We get the Oscar attempt song. The makers of this movie decided they were going to try an angle for an original song nomination at the Oscars. The song is called Suddenly. 
Suddenly Seymour. No, I fucking wish. (laughs) It's not terrible, but it doesn't really fit with the other songs because it wasn't written by the people that wrote the fucking songs for this musical. So it just doesn't fit. And it, obviously, like I said before, it was up against Skyfall, so obviously it didn't win, so it was all for naught. Suddenly the world seems a different place Somehow full of grace, full of light This song was essentially about how he immediately loves her and is going to take care of her and it's a sweet sentiment and all, but no. And then, as if it can't get any worse, as they're leaving town in this carriage, they get cut off by Javert, and they manage to sneak around him and escape over this wall and hide. They find this convent nearby, and it just so happens that the gentleman that fell under his cart and was saved by Jean Valjean. He happens to work at the convent. Isn't that funny? Wow. This gentleman recognizes him as the man who saved his life. So he's like, here, I will help you and your child hide away. And Javert is very upset that he could not catch his foe. What does he do, guys? He gets a whole fucking song to himself. The song is called Stars. And it's not good. <laughs> it's very bad because it's just constant monotone, muffled screeching. And then we cut to nine years later. (laughs) 1832 in Paris. The French Revolution is on the cusp of beginning. And who's still in Paris? Jean Valjean. The man is a wanted man in France. Yes, I understand. Just moved to England. He, you know what? You can hide there with your great British accent, just like everybody else in this movie. Scott, let's not think about this too hard. I didn't know the French Revolution was started by Brits. Let's not nitpick too much. <laughs> Yo, we start this section off with the best singer. The best singer right. in the entire movie. Right. He's a uh, child, and he's kind of like talk singing. His name is Gavroche, and... He essentially opens up this segment of the movie by singing about how the monarchy is squashing the poor. They are completely marginalized and living in squalor. And the revolution is bubbling up and slowly coming to the surface. And he basically is the establishment of that. The revolutionary group that we meet is led by... Two grown men, (laughs) not children, by the names of Anjalris, played by Aaron Tveit, who is one of the actors in this film that has a Broadway background. Actually, fun fact, the first time I saw Wicked, I was 16 years old, and I loved it. The person playing Fiero was Aaron Tveit, and that's how I knew who he was, and I followed his career ever since then. He was Leo DiCaprio's counterpart in the musical version of Catch Me If You Can. Yes, there's a musical of Catch Me If You Can. And more recently, he was playing Christian in the musical version of Moulin Rouge.
And then we have the other leader of this revolutionary group. His name is Marius, and he is played by Eddie Redmayne. And they are in a crowd riling up the cavalry, but Marius's grandfather pulls him aside and is like, what are you doing? You're ashamed of your family. And he's in like a little top hat and overcoat, so you know he's like a rich white man. Everything is very unorthodox. Let me make this clear. You have orthodox, unorthodox, and then most unorthodox. You're here! And then we establish that Marius is good friends with Eponine, who has grown older. She's a beautiful young lady, played by Samantha Barks. And she also has Broadway background. She played Eponine in the London production of Les Miserables and the 25th anniversary concert. So she's got this roll down pat. She is a piece of cardboard no. that, could, that has a little bubble Stop. that says, I love Marius. No. <laughs> she has one quality, frankly. No, Scott. One single Scott, quality. Scott, you're wrong. You're just wrong. No, I'm not. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Use my own clip against me. I will. So... Marius is friends with Eponine, but Eponine is in love with Marius. It's the typical friend zone situation. We've all been there, guys. And magically, in this bustling square, who happens to come in but Jean Valjean and Cosette, who is played now as a grown lady by Amanda Seyfried. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Ah! <laughs> See, all the musicals, Scott, they're connected. <laughs> Immediately, when Marius sees Cosette, he has this Twitter-padded moment. They see each other across the square, and they immediately fall in love because this is a musical, and sometimes that just happens. They just see each other, and they make eyes at each other, and they, they're in love. Lust. Fair enough. I'm giving that to you. So... After we've established this Twitter-padded moment, we also established that the Zenardiers are still around, but they're just homeless con artists, and they just try to get money out of people randomly in the square. So they're all running around the square, doing their thing, and then all of a sudden, Javert shows up. Jean Valjean must have a magnet that Javert is just attracted to. Javert is singing about nonsense the way Javert does, and Jean Valjean and Cosette just slip out. So before we move on to more miserable people in this Les Miserables yes, film. The, yes, the miserable cardboard, yes. It's time, Scott. No, oh, it's time? It's time for the return of one of our favorite segments, Cast Could Have Been. Exciting moment, guys. We we haven't done cast could have been in a hot minute, so I, I'm excited to discuss this now. As you guys can probably tell by this point, there are a lot of characters in this movie, <laughs> so I, I don't have cast could have been for every single character. Thank God. So let's just jump right into this. Well, let's do it. Okay. First things first. Clearly, Scott's favorite character so far, Eponine. Ooh. <laughs> 
I have a, a handful of young actresses okay. who are in the running for this part. First, I have Miss Hayden Panettiere, which uh... I don't even know. I've never heard her sing. Uh, okay. The next two I have, they're a little more top 40. We have a Miss Miley Cyrus. Oh, God. And Taylor Swift. She would have been horrible in this. If you'd like to have confirmation of that fact, just check her out in the hit film, Cats. <laughs> he sways his head from side to side with movements like a snake. And when you think he's half asleep, he's always wide awake! This is just an assortment of relatively young actresses and singers. I vastly prefer Samantha Bark's performance. Yeah, I guess. All right, moving on. We have Mr. Sasha Baron Cohen's role, ah. Monsieur Thénardier. We have a Mr. Billy Crystal, Ricky Gervais, which I think would have been hilarious because Ricky Gervais is the shit. Ricky Gervais would have been interesting. Steve Martin, one of those comic actors that I think can pretty much pull off most roles, so yeah. that probably would have worked out but just fine. But can he pull off a British accent in France? Well, funnily enough, Sasha Baron Cohen, who is, I believe, British in real life, was the only actor in this movie that's set in France that actually had a French accent. Exactly. So, last but not least, the cast could have been I found for Thenardier, which I found kind of sad, Robin Williams. Yeah. That would have been, I feel like, really cool. Yeah, Robin would have been great. Next we have Fontaine. We have highbrow actresses right. like Miss Amy Adams and Kate Winslet. Okay. Who's like the Britishiest of British actresses, <laughs> I feel like. So, last but not least, for our cast, could have been Scott Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. So, this we have a few actors, some of whom are a little older, I think, because at some point in the past, they were trying to get this adaptation off the ground. And they were tossing around some names. First one we have is Tom Cruise. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Tom Hanks. I don't know if either of those men can sing. Tom Hanks, I can see being able to, like, talk sing. You know, like, gray skies are gonna clear up. Yeah, and Tom Cruise technically was the rock star in Rock of Ages, the movie. Yeah, but he didn't sing good in Rock of Ages. Well, no one really movie. sang good in Rock of Ages. Well, no. The movie was probably the most disappointing musical adaptation I've ever seen. Yeah, it's not great. Other actors who were being considered for Jean Valjean at one time or another, Al Pacino. <laughs> Again, I've never heard him sing, but I just picture him in, like, the old-timey colonial outfits going, Hoo-ah! I stole a loaf of bread. Hoo-ha! <laughs> uh, we also have Harrison Ford, which he, I can only hear in my head mumbling, like, I stole a loaf of bread, and now I'm And I'm not saying these guys can never do a musical in some capacity, somehow, some way, but this musical is so heavy vocally, and also idea- emotionally, but vocally, so and, heavy. And with the idea of singing on set and... Yeah, it's like, holy, no. Uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> okay, at least Christopher Walken can kind of do his shtick. I mean, uh, 
Did you hear him as King Louie in Jungle Book? Talking about talk singing, that's literally just talking like Christopher Walken and pretending it's a song. Like, it... He's got a shtick, but at least, you know what? It's a musical shtick. So, um, we have a lot of interesting choices. I feel like there's none that I would replace with the current actors. You could talk me into Robin Williams, of course, but that's well, the yeah, only one that... Of course. Now, if we had any cascodabins for Javert, maybe we could talk. But we don't. So, unfortunately, that has been Cascodabins! Oh, yeah! Woo! We came back with a vengeance. With a vengeance. So now, getting back into the story, Jean Valjean and Cosette go back to their home. Valjean tells Cosette, hey, we should go to England. But, like, she doesn't really understand why he wants to just leave suddenly because she doesn't know anything about his criminal past. So he's basically sheltered her her whole life and protected her from the bad in the world, you know? So she just thinks he wants to control her more and very Jasmine Bell situation. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. That whole chestnut. So when they left, Marius went to Eponine. It's like, hey, can you find out where that girl lives? That and blonde. Let me know? Yeah, I, I like her. I want to. I want to see her again. Can you let me know where she I lives? I want to fuck her. Oh my god. So, <laughs> so Eponine agrees to help him find Cosette, while he goes to a meeting of the revolutionary group. All the guys in this particular faction are at this inn together, and they're strategizing and everything they go into this song called red and black which i think is one of the more underrated songs of this show red the blood of angry men black the dark of ages past red a world about to dawn black the night that ends at last it's helmed mainly by Aaron Tveit, Marius is also in there as well, and the rest of the guys kind of join in as a choral backup, which I think, I, I really like this song, but you don't care. <laughs> At this point, Marius's only thing is, he's a rich guy who doesn't see Eponine and fell in love with a blonde girl in 20 seconds. That's all we really know about Marius right now. Okay. Well, uh, The know- other character, don't know him at all. He just He's supposed to be the head of the revolution. Don't know any of these other characters at all. <laughs> you don't need to. Especially Anjalris is more of a representative character. I just want... Okay. I want a character I can, like, hold on to and be like... Marius! This... No! Yes! At this point, you know nothing about you know... this man! Yes, you do. You knew he. You know he grew up rich and completely encased in that rich world that most of the rich people in this yes, society have great. shit on the poor. Understandable. And he so why, went against that because uh, he believes in what is right. Okay. And why? What made him do this? Why did he make this decision? Why did he suddenly go, you know what? Fuck being rich. I'm joining the revolution. We don't know anything about him, Frankie. <laughs> we know nothing about him. You're so angry. Because it, he has shown us nothing except the fact that he can fall in love with a blonde girl in 20 seconds. Well, you know that... He's shallow in that way. 
but you know that he has loyalty to his friend. Because Anjalris is his friend. Them two are very close. In the book, that's mainly why he's in the revolution, because when he meets Cosette in the book, he's not really fully into the revolution. He's more kind of involved in it because he's friends with Anjalris and some of the other guys. Oh, by the way, at this point, I go, Frankie, I don't know the, what's this guy's name. She goes, oh, Anjalris. I'm like, might as well be Bob. <laughs> Yeah, uh, to be fair, I don't remember if they say his name in the show or in the movie. I don't remember. I just know his name from knowing the show. Okay. So that's that's a fair criticism. The song Red and Black is essentially about Marius being all Twitter-padded with Cosette, and his mind is just focused on her. And Anjalus is like, hey, there are bigger fish to fry here. you so got to focus on the revolution. This is about more than just you. So, would you say he's booby-blinded? Did that make you feel good inside? <laughs> Alright, well then, that's, that's good, I guess. It made me feel a lot better. So, after the song is over, Marius immediately goes to Eponine, because she's already come back to tell him where Cosette is. Eponine takes Marius to Cosette's house, and they meet finally for the first time and they sing a song called A Heart Full of Love. It's very flowery and twittery and meanwhile Eponine is kind of off to the side interjecting with her feelings of sadness that Marius is in love with another woman and not her and she is perennially ignored. And then Valjean comes out and Marius leaves. In the house Cosette and Valjean continue to argue about them leaving and going to England. And Cosette is very upset. She's like, Papa, I don't want to leave. And he's like, we must leave. So they get ready to go. They actually pack up their stuff and go back to hiding in the convent overnight. But before they leave, Cosette writes Marius a letter and sticks it in the gate out by the garden for him to find. And instead, Eponine finds it, because she's still hanging around, you know, being sad and miserable, as you do in Les Miserables. And she finds it and pockets it, and doesn't give it to Marius. And after that, she proceeds to sing another one of the more popular songs in the show, On My Own. Without me, this world will go on turning, a world that's full of happiness that I have. which Samantha Barks fucking knocks it out of the park. Scott, feel free to say that you don't like it and she's a cardboard cutout. Go ahead. Go ahead, I'm waiting. She is a cardboard cutout. I disagree. The song is good. Again. Eponine is nothing. There's nothing wrong with the song. Again, the song is fine. The character is garbage. Eponine is like the emo girl of the 1800s. (laughs) Every emo girl can relate to her, Scott. There is nothing for this character. I besides, totally besides being Marius. Oh, Marius. Marius is my life. Marius is everything. This is like Marius with Cosette. No. Cosette. I, I totally. Marius. I believe. No, no, no. Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> no. I totally disagree with you. There is a deal more to Eponine as a character than Cosette. So Eponine sings her beautiful song. And then, as all our characters are going into the revolution, which is 
set to begin the next day, they sing the song One Day More, which is like the intermission song in the show. Now this is only intermission? This song is basically everybody preparing for what's going to happen tomorrow. Valjean and Cosette are preparing to leave France. Cosette and Marius are both sad about it. They're like longing for each other. Javert is preparing his troops because there's a, a little bit of a side thing where like a general in the monarchy has just died and there's going to be a funeral for him tomorrow. Oh yeah, we've never even, we don't know the general. We don't, it, we don't need to know the general. The military is expecting there to be some rabble rousing at this funeral procession yes. that's going to happen tomorrow. This general is our master Sifodius. Essentially, yes. I made that joke before. Thanks for stealing it, Scott. <laughs> So yeah, and it ends with like a big flourish, as most intermission songs do. They're all singing over each other, and the harmonies are really good. Scott, again, doesn't give a fuck. I've never liked this song. But why? This one's just more of a personal thing. I've just never... Okay, whatever. I can't, you know, you like what you like, and you don't what you don't. But like, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. So, everyone's at this funeral procession for this general that's passed away. The sound design is really good in this because you just hear dead silence except for clopping of horses' feet. The music kind of builds and builds. The revolutionaries are singing, Do you hear the people sing? Sing." And it starts off really quiet. And then it gets louder and louder. And, okay, if you don't dig one day more and you don't find that inspiring, it doesn't give you oomph, this will. I was, like, marching along to the song. I was just, like, so into it. And Scott, I look over at Scott, and he's just, like, staring blankly at the screen. And I'm like, how are you not ready to go? Yeah, I I could care less about these characters' plight. Do you hear the people sing, singing a song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be saved again. I don't know these people. <laughs> Okay, in all seriousness, I I love this movie. I understand that you don't, so I'm going to try and bridge the gap here. I understand what you're saying, but the show on a whole is an epic. So there are certain things that you have to cut out just for sake of getting to the meat and potatoes of it. I understand that, and I get that. I understand cutting things uh, again, out. Again, this movie was originally going to be four hours long. <laughs> again, I get that. I get all of that. I Irishman the musical. <laughs> I understand all that. You have to cut things out. I understand blah, 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 musicals. Things happen quickly, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to express a message. But, okay, if you want to talk about classism and the rich versus the poor and all that, we just watched Train to Busan. Correct. We've watched Parasite. But they didn't have an expanse of 20-something years to tell a story in. The point is, again, as I said, they are cardboard cutouts of a character written on the script to be like, oh, this person, this is their one motivation. That's all they're about. Now, okay, let me explain to you why I disagree with that. Let's talk about Eponine. As this revolution is in its beginning stages, we see Eponine... Right there in the thick of it. Now, she is a woman in the 1800s. She does not belong in, in a revolution. What is she doing there? In the previous song, One Day More, you see her 
wrapping up her chest, tucking up her hair and putting a hat on, disguising herself as a boy. Yeah, she looks like a newsie. Essentially, yes. She really actually kind of does a little bit. And her reason for doing that was so she could join the revolution to help protect Marius. But it's not just some shallow, like, little girl who has a crush. She has bravery and integrity. Not many people would put themselves on the line for someone, especially after that person in her mind just rejected her. She genuinely loves Marius unconditionally as a friend, not just as a potential lover. Like, her feelings for Marius are deeper and more based in reality than Cosette's. And even when someone loves someone else unconditionally, they sometimes will say that but not back it up with action. Eponine has that fortitude of action to back up how she feels, despite the fact that she was raised by complete fucking sycophants with the Nardiers, she is still a decent and a brave human being. That was my rant on Eponine. <laughs> I just dropped the mic. Okay, I'll let, I'll let you have that one. Oh, will you, dear? I'll let you have your Eponine, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so, so moving on from that. The battle begins... Javert is dressed in, like, civilian garb because he's undercover. Frankie, is that addressed at all in the movie? It's, like... Uh, 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 <laughs> answer the question. Don't, don't talk your way around it. Is it addressed in the movie? It's obvious if you fucking pay attention, oh, uh, sir. I'm perfectly paying attention. No, I obviously not. I'm... Because you saw him in his military garb in, during One Day More talking about how he's going to destroy the revolution and then you see him the next day in the middle of the revolution in plain clothes and then right after that you see him sneaking around they're doing the one thing that we complain about a lot in other movies that are not so good they're showing not telling aha well, come on! now the revolution has begun and javert tells and and the other guys like i can go across I can get information from them and bring it back to you guys. So he goes off and he's gone for a little while. He comes back at nighttime and he's like, oh, they're not going to attack you tonight. They're going to try and starve you out at least until the morning. And Garrosh, the little urchin boy, he calls him Alaya. You are Javert. You are the police chief. I know you. So the guys immediately grab him and they take him hostage. They've set up this big barricade and the soldiers come right up to the barricade and the lead soldier is played by Hadley Frazier, who we discussed before, wow. Ewan McGregor slash John Mulaney. He gives them the opportunity to surrender before they open fire and they're like, fuck you. So the soldiers fire on them. And in the middle of this firefight, a soldier almost shoots Marius. He's, like, lining up his shot. Eponine sees this happening, and does she just call out, Oh, no! Marius, watch out! Is that, is that what she does, Scott? Is that what she does? No. She pulls the 
barrel of the gun over to her own stomach and lets herself get shot in Mary's place because she is, oh yes, integrity, bravery, selflessness. This motherfucker, can I just tell you what was happening when this poor woman got shot protecting this <laughs> man that she loved with all her heart? Marius sees Eponine bleeding on the ground, dying. Eponine and Marius start singing this song called Little Fall of Rain. And it's a really, truly devastating song. And what do you think Scott was doing, guys? He was just sitting there, deadpan, staring at the screen. And I look over at him and I says to him, I says, are you even, are you feeling anything right now? And he's like, no. And I'm like, what? What the fuck? Why? Why? Why, Scott? Because at this point, Marius means nothing, and Eponine, okay, yes, you made your argument, which I'll give you is a very good argument, but at this point, Eponine meant nothing to me either. Oh, oh my god, okay. That irritates me, but I'm going to continue in peace. <laughs> so, after poor Eponine dies in Marius's arms. The boys <laughs> carry her away, place her among the many other dead. Oh, and before she dies, I forgot to mention, Eponine hands Marius the letter that Cosette wrote him. He reads it, and he reads that Cosette is being whisked away to England, and that they're uh, hiding out of the convent, and they'll be leaving the next day. So he goes to Gavroche, and he writes a letter to Cosette and has him deliver the letter to the convent. When he does, the letter is intercepted by Jean Valjean. Valjean reads the letter and he is moved by Marius's words about how much he loves Cosette and how she loves him. And he realizes that his criminal past and, you know, his sheltering of Cosette have really held her back from living a normal life. So he decides that he is going to go off to the barricades with the sole mission of protecting Marius so he can come home to Cosette. So he goes off into the night. He saves them. He points out snipers. Yeah. Saves them. And they're like, oh, what can we do to pay you? And he notices Javert. And he goes, give me him. And we're good. We're square. So when Javert is like, he's all yours. Valjean take Chavert off into like an alleyway off on their own and they have a little chat Javert still singing like a dying seal shoot me now for all I care if you let me go beware you'll still answer to Javert Valjean is offering to set him free and give him give him mercy and Javert is like fuck off I'm still the law goddammit and you're a criminal, we're still on opposite sides. Valjean, knowing that Javert is still going to come after him, he takes the gun, shoots off into the alleyway, and lets Javert go. So Javert leaves. Valjean goes back to the revolutionaries. Valjean hears Marius talk about how much he loves Cosette. And as they're all going to sleep, Valjean sings the song Bring Him Home, which is another pretty big song from this show. Basically, 
talking about how he wants to protect Marius. Oh, yes. John Valjean on the top of his lungs. Bring him home! Okay. So after that, <laughs> by dawn, the soldiers end up getting in through the barricade. Oh, wait, oh, 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 oh. We're, we're skipping the part here. What? what am I we are skipping. So the soldiers are now outside the barricade, ready to basically blow them to hell. And who decides to crawl out from underneath the barricade? Oh, yeah. Little Gabresh. Gavrosh. Gavrosh. <laughs> and I couldn't have been happier. Oh, my God. So little Gavrosh gets out from under the barricade. Gavrosh. whatever. Gets out from under the barricade, and he gets shot. And I still feel nothing. Well, okay, here's the thing. Gavrosh. He's not only a poor vagabond, he represents the poor in that aspect, but he also represents youth, hope, the future. And that's why when he gets shot down, it's like the last straw for a lot of these guys. And that's when the soldiers really storm the barricade and mostly everybody dies. Marius is knocked unconscious, but Valjean swoops right in, picks him up over his shoulder and gets him out of there. Meanwhile, we have... One of the coolest sequences I like in the movie, and that is Enjolras' death. The bunch of soldiers follow Enjolras upstairs to the inn that they were holding up in. And he's right on the edge of this window. And there's another revolutionary that comes up behind the soldiers. He walks straight up to Enjolras, wanting to die with his friend. They stand strong at this window. Enjolras holds up the red flag of revolution and the soldiers they shoot both of them dead and there's this cool shot where Enjolras falls out the window and is hanging and the flag is like waving in his arm they don't cower they don't beg they stand up raise the flag like this is what we're fighting for and this is what we're dying for that to me is a strong powerful fucking moment and Scott is smirking over there because he thinks I'm crazy but that's fine no I understand it's a powerful moment but again, because the characters are so cookie-cuttered, I don't care. So as all this is happening, Valjean is escaping with Marius over his shoulder. He is still unconscious. He falls into the sewer. And who does he find in the cesspool, Scott? <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen! <laughs> the Nardier is there. And he... After finding these two unconscious, unconscious men. men, he steals Marius's ring off his finger. Valjean wakes up and like grabs him. <laughs> and he's like, how do we get out of here? Thenardier shows him the way out. And then he picks up Marius and trudges through this muck. Also, while this is going on, Javert... He hears nearby voices, perhaps the voice of Jean Valjean. So when Jean Valjean emerges from this muck-filled sewer with Marius on his shoulder, he's greeted by Javert. And Valjean is immediately like, listen, I know you hate me. You want to take me in. I got it. But like, I need to take him to a hospital now. And one of the few lines of dialogue in this whole movie, Javert goes, One more step and you die. And Valjean turns to him, just looks at him, and then he turns around and walks away. See, this means something. Yes. <laughs> this at least gives us something because we understand with the last point of him showing him mercy, it means something. So 
Um, after this moment, we get another song from Javert. Again, it's the exact same monotone bullshit we've gotten every song that he's ever sung in this movie. Okay, well, let's just skip this song, because the only great part of this song is when he fucking jumps off the ledge and then plops to the ground. <laughs> Honestly, at this, because I knew it was coming, and I was like, just do it already! Do it! Just do it! So he kills himself because he just can't comprehend this criminal mastermind, Changing Jean Valjean, being a decent human and showing him mercy. Then we go back to Valjean and Marius and Cosette. So what happened with them is Marius recovers, thankfully, but the hitch is he doesn't realize that Valjean, he's this revolutionary that was at the barricade. He thinks that he is just Cosette's father. So he pulls Marius aside and says, listen, there's this man named Jean Valjean and he went to prison for stealing a loaf of bread and he tells him the whole story of Jean Valjean and then Marius looks at him and he's like you're Jean Valjean and he's like yes the police are always going to be after me I'm always going to be a criminal in their eyes so I need to leave because I need to protect Cosette you can protect her now you can give her a good life and you can never tell her who I, I really am and Eventually, he acquiesces and says, okay, and Valjean leaves, and then we cut to their wedding. Cosette and Marius get married, but they have wedding crashers, these little fuckers, these Thenardiers. Marius recognizes him. He's like, what the hell are you guys doing here? The Thenardiers tell him, we we know that Jean Valjean is Cosette's father. And we know what he's done. Mr. Thenardi even says, I saw him carrying a man on his back that he killed in the heat of battle. And I managed to take this ring from the poor fellow. And Marius sees his ring on Thenardi's finger. He's like, that's mine. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, no, 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 that's mine. And then he puts two and two together. He's like, Jean Valjean is the man that saved my fucking life. Oh my God. And he attacks the Nardier and he's like, where is Jean Valjean? Where is he? And he, he's like, oh, he's at the convent. He, he like crumbles. I really enjoyed them in this, especially Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. I think he was having a lot of fun with this and it shows. Scott even liked them in this. Yes, they were number three on the things I liked in this. Marius immediately goes to Cosette and says, we got to go. Let's go. Come with me. We cut to Valjean at the convent on the verge of death. He's singing about the regrets he's had in his life. And you hear the faint singing voice of Fantine in the background. And then you see her coming to essentially to help guide him to the next stage of life. But before she can do that, Cosette and Marius show up. It's a very emotional moment because he's happy to see her because he knows he's about to die. and He gets to see her one last time before he goes. And Marius tells Cosette that her father came to him at the barricade and protected him and brought him home to her. They exchange I love yous and he dies. Fontaine literally guides him into the next stage of life. And you see this giant barricade. It's, it's supposed to be symbolic. Scott did not buy into it. And you see all of the people that have passed on throughout this entire movie, which have been 
a lot. And I really love this one line because it's it basically encompasses the whole point of the show. To love another person is to see the face of God. That's the whole point of the show. Even in misery and death and horrible things happening in the world, there is still goodness and light and love. They have this beautiful finale song with all of these people. It's a great big chorus that swells and it's just, it's very heartwarming for some people anyway. And yes, that is Les Miserables. I have it as a three and a half out of five stars on Letterboxd. Um, Scott, before we started this review, what was your rating on Letterboxd? A one. A one. Okay. That's bad. <laughs> Did it change at all after the review? Uh, yeah. To what? A negative two. <laughs> a two. You got it up a whole point. Yeah, I like more than just John Valjean, who is an amazing part of this movie. Absolutely. And is probably one of the few things that actually, if I was ever to watch this movie again, it'd probably be just for John Valjean. All right. So that was a pretty epic episode, guys. Next week, Scott is going to introduce me to a movie that's a lot lighter than this one. So until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Javert. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick, and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week. It's not going to be as emotionally taxing as this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. So hang in there and viva revolution! Do you